Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. They are a crucial part of America's workforce gig workers, and freelancers. Now, it's estimated at least 59 million American adults participated in the gig economy. That was over in 2020. And that's right around 36% in the U.S. workforce. But there are some specific challenges facing these workers. Today on the program, we'll examine some of these issues, including safety concerns, to unionize or not, and the overall stability for Georgia's gig workers. That's coming up. But first, this... Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and State School Superintendent Richard Woods are criticizing for the firing of DeKalb County School Superintendent Cheryl Watson-Harris. Of course, this move came by the school board in a four-to-one vote in a special called meeting this week to terminate Watson-Harris's contract. She had only been on the job less than two years. Watson-Harris says she was, quote, blindsided by the decision. The move came after board chair Vicki Turner wrote a letter to Woods blaming Watson-Harris for poor conditions at Druid Hills High School. However, Turner and the majority of the board contend relations with Watson-Harris have been deteriorating for some time. In other education news, Atlanta's Morris Brown College is now fully accredited. Martha Dalton reports the news comes after two decades of scratching and surviving and being uncredited. The Transnational Association of Christian Colleges and Schools, or TRACS, voted this week to grant Morris Brown full accreditation. A different accrediting agency revoked the college's accreditation in 2002, mostly due to financial mismanagement. In 2019, the board of directors hired Kevin James to lead the floundering school. Since then, James has worked to secure funding, hire faculty, and add degree programs. Now that it's accredited, the school can also receive federal financial aid. Because Morris Brown is newly accredited, TRAC says it will undergo annual financial audits and another evaluation after five years. Martha Dalton, WABE News. Time for a traffic update. Well, the Fulton County Sheriff's Office says drivers may want to steer clear of the area around the county's Justice Center complex next week. Why? Well, they say major road and lane closures are expected. Why? Well, that's because Fulton District Attorney Fonnie Willis and her office are set to start choosing members of a special grand jury to investigate whether or not former President Donald Trump illegally tried to overturn Georgia's 2020 election results. Closures will stay in place all week. And if you're wondering what those streets are, here you go. Pryor Street between MLK Drive and Mitchell Street. Mitchell from Pryor Street to Central Avenue and the two lanes adjacent to the downtown complex. In other words, find another route. Finally, University of Georgia football fans could see some of their favorite players take the next step in their athletic careers. Tonight begins the NFL draft as we hear from Alex Helmick. The Bulldogs won the national championship last season, so it's no surprise several players from that team are getting attention ahead of the NFL draft. And it could be possible for the Bulldogs to break the record of 14 players taken overall in the seven rounds. The draft starts tonight and runs through the weekend. Bulldog defensive lineman Trayvon Walker could even be the first overall selection in the first round. Despite losing all this talent to the NFL, the University of Georgia is still considered one of the favorites to win the national championship again next season. Alex Helmick, WAB News. By the way, the Atlanta Falcons will pick eighth in the first round and then again in the second round with the 43rd overall spot. Of course, teams could be willing and dealing throughout the night. Who knows? So let's see who the Falcons get. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. 
Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Flexibility, independent. That could be why working in the gig economy is so appealing to millions of Americans. So who and what jobs make up the gig economy? Well, we wanted to know, so we went where everybody else goes. YouTube. The most prominent sector of all is transportation. Transportation gigs include services like Uber and Lyft in Europe and the U.S. Another sector popular in the gig economy is services. These include everything from delivery services to tasks like house cleaning and even dog walking. Yes, even dog walking, and there are a lot more. Many of the nation's gig jobs utilize some type of app of some sort. Of course, we know there's Uber and Lyft and the food delivery services, but there's also services like TaskRabbit, which provide independent workers who can do anything from moving to painting and dog walking. We'll begin today's special programming by examining safety for our nation's gig workers. Joining me now, first up, is Minister Cheryl Murphy, lead organizer with Gig Workers Rising, also a former Lyft driver and co-author of the recent report, Death and Corporate Irresponsibility in the Gig Economy and Urgent Safety Crisis. Minister Murphy, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and particularly having it, having me on such a uh, Memorial Day, uh, Workers Memorial Day. Yeah. Um, it yes. is International Memorial Workers Day, and we should let folks know that is to remember and, and honor those who have lost their lives or were severely injured in, in their line of work. Yes. Uh, today is a day to lift up those lives on the job and see the impacts on families, co-workers, and communities, many who are immigrant and black and brown. So you know, just happy to be here. Absolutely. You know, I recently read that the nation is, quote, witnessing a massive shift from traditional work and full-time employment to freelancing, working part-time, and independent contracting, close quote. Through your lens, how much truth is in that, that that's where we're, this nation is is really shifting to this idea of more freelance consulting and, and gig workers? I believe that America is really wanting to exercise their autonomy, right? To really pursue the quote unquote American dream um, where folks are can really actualize their overall health and well-being, and that includes um, pursuing um, jobs that allow them the autonomy and flexibility. You're a former rideshare driver, correct? Yes, I am. I started um, driving back in 27. I was just finishing up my Master's of Divinity degree and pursuing my um, doctorate's degree. Mm. So I, was, I have been driving Lyft for about three years. Mm. Uh, Lyft was my primary source of income, and I had completed over 12,000 rides. Wow. Um, yeah, Which- they what did you like about it? Was it the freedom of flexibility and, and, and being able to sort of set your own schedule? Well, what I want to make clear is that they advertise a job with a feature of flexibility hmm. um, that allowed me to make money uh, while also loaning me a rental car. Um, and I was in desperate need of that so-called flexibility um, and began working. Um, but soon I found myself in this diddly and inflexible uh, working cycle. Um, and over time, what I realized uh, with many Lyft drivers that I became entrapped um, in a gig economy um, in this constant cycle of working just to afford to keep working. And that with every passing year um, that I was spending more and more hours of unpaid time waiting for rides and covering work expenses um, like gas and mm-hmm. rental fees, um, it was just becoming extremely harder to sustain a living. So you were working harder, but not necessarily pocketing much of the, the revenue. Right. And you have to realize, so it's uh, three years ago. So right when uh, the pandemic started, really when it pivoted. Mm-hmm. So just really found myself, you know, in the middle of a pandemic where my employers had denied unemployment insurance that I fully deserve. Um, found myself 
certainly driving around on the looming threat of um, possibly getting a disease that had the capacity to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, before the pandemic, there were definitely other risks involved, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the possibility of getting involved in, in an accident without coverage or being deactivated uh, without a clear and unfair process um, or being accosted based on the color of my skin. Let me ask you this, Minister Murphy. Did you ever experience a potential or you did experience a a, a very horrifying or, or pretty much almost violent encounter at all? Certainly there were emotional and physical threats um, that I've encountered. One involving a woman who was extremely intoxicated, um, who physically took my um, phone and ran out of them and jumped out of the vehicle in the middle of traffic, uh, which I found very horrifying. Uh, The other one is (coughs) being uh, accosted and physically bullied around which directions to go. by a male driver, mm-hmm. but certainly there are physical risks involved. When, what's your response when folks say, well, we understand that for a lot of folks who are in this gig economy, and especially with you know Uber and, and Lyft and DoorDash and all those folks, Postmates, what have you, that they say you are not technically an employee of the company, you are a contractor, and that is a whole different set of optics. How do you respond to that? Well, I want to really get back to the bigger question. Mm-hmm. The bigger question is that gig workers uh, are in a workplace day after day where they're exposed to the kind of working conditions that no one, whether or not you're working behind a desk or working behind a wheel of a car, um, should be exposed to. Um, recently, we just launched the Gig Workers Rising, mm-hmm. um, launched a report that found over 50 app workers have been murdered on the job since 2017. This, this number could actually be higher um, because App corporations do not regularly disclose the number of homicides that occur for people working um, using their apps. Me- What's really interesting about this research is mm-hmm. that 60% of the workers that are killed um, are people of color, color mm-hmm. and yet we are only 29% of the workforce in the U.S. economy. So whether or not we're working, whether or not we're arguing about misclassification classification, or flexibility, what we know is that op- App corporations are not doing enough to protect the workers who make these app runs. But with and the, instead, their model is to offload risk onto workers. If you had a a, a legal a, a classification that was a policy that was policy in, implemented or, or through the laws, could that enable you also to get some other benefits? And that's why I asked that question. Is that is that possible? You think with that? I think I think what's really what could be really possible. Um, is to allow the voice of the workers um, to determine what are the policies that make um, gig workers safe, right? And Mm -hmm. so the ability um, of having a collective voice, which means the ability to form a union is very important. And unfortunately, there are laws in place that do not allow workers to have a collective voice. There are laws in place that do not allow the transparency um, that will disclose the number of workers that are either injured or who are killed on a job. This report is only a tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. And what we know, as I mentioned earlier before, that there are thousands of other workers who have been um, physically or sexually or emotionally assaulted. So not only are we talking about the deaths and injuries, but we're also talking about other factors as well. As well. You know, we're going to talk about um, whether or not unionizing and, and the pros and cons of that. We're going to talk about that in a moment. You all, in this report, too, you, there's a section where it says, gig corporations avoid liability and leave families behind. For our listeners who may not be familiar with what this is about, give a synopsis of this. So I'll give you an example. We have... Um, workers or survivors or workers who have disclosed the stories um, that corporations have um, sent through media their thoughts and prayers um, to the families, but do not pay or otherwise substantially support families. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the same executives that make the decisions not to support these families, um, but who themselves are paying millions of dollars a year by taking no responsibility for uh, the drivers who, who bring in their revenue. 
And as I've said before, you know, workers are generating millions in income for these giant corporations and yet just do not take responsibility for the workers' basic safety or security. We've talked to a number of survivors um, of, of families, of gig workers who have been killed, um, and they have received little or no compensation. And for me, that is an abomination um, that workers deserve to be protected um, and to provide the overall and healthy well-being when they're working. And you all cite in this report, too, that it's not just these gig corporations here in the United States, but you all say from around the globe. This, certainly our report focused on the 50 workers or more that have been murdered on the job since 2017. But we do notice that there is simply a pattern, uh, not only here in the United States, but in the world um, that needs to be looked at. Um, and that is crucial that we examine the way that these app-based companies organizes work and its impact. Their model is uh, literally um, profit over the backs of their workers, mostly who are immigrant and black and brown. And that's the story. You all also cite that when it comes to policy and legislation, you have to understand, too, that, and this is through the report, and I'm paraphrasing here, these gig corporations have a lot of power and influence, and they have a lot of lobbying associations behind them. You all, and we're probably going to talk about that, too, in a few minutes, but you all are up against that as well and trying to get some concrete policy and legislation passed to protect gig workers. Here in California, that's correct. Um we experienced that um, last year. Uh, you know, Lyft, Instacart, DoorDash, Postmates, um, these app companies spent more than $205 million. And I want that to sit in the air. $205 million on a campaign that they bought and purchased for. That was the most ballot measure that was spent in the U.S. history. Uh, to bankroll Proposition 22. Mm -hmm. And with this passage, um, the law exempts drivers like me from basic protections afforded to most other workers in the state. And this is not the only uh, rodeo that they will um, stop at. They will go to other states and mimic this particular law that will limit the ability for workers to have great wages, um, annual leave, unemployment insurance, and workers' compensation. $205 million, you all say. I'm looking at the report right now in opposition to, to Prop 22. Wow. Yeah, and, and here's what's really interesting is that here in California, maybe throughout the United States, that it is okay um, to um, um, what I would call lie. Let me just basically say that. Because in the aftermath of this bought and paid for victory, um, these companies promised to roll out not only this model nationwide, um, telling voters that this was the best thing for gig workers, the voters soon found out they were actually hoodwinked and had buyer's remorse. Mm -hmm. um, drivers are, are now neither employees guaranteed rights and benefits like healthcare, um, not true independent contractors. Uh, since we can't set our own rates, choose our own clients or, or build the kind of wealth on the apps that we so vision for. And Minister Murphy, as we prepare to move to the next segment, and we should note that we did reach out to the two, obviously we know the two ride-sharing companies, we had yet to receive a response, so I want to get that out there. But something else that you all say that needs to, to take action that you're demanding, and that's no forced arbitration. Do you think a lot of folks know that for many, some of these gig corporations, they require workers to sign some agreement that they will not either participate in any type of lawsuit or any class action lawsuit or anything. I think that's, you know, one of the things that we need to make sure that we're clear about this no force arbitration, because what it does is limit um, the opportunities um, for the full protections of the courts. Right. And so uh, certainly not only to take out that forced arbitration clause, but to make sure that families are also compensated. Um, families and survivors are immediately compensated for injuries um, and deaths. Um, the other one is to be able um, to form a union. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly we wanna be able to 
recognize this this pattern of behavior in which workers are not protected. Um, and so we, we really want full transparency. And that what that requires is that these ad corporations provide us with the data mm-hmm. since they're the ones that's holding it. And we're going to talk about unions in just a moment. Minister Sherry Murphy, lead organizer with Gig Workers Rising, also a former rideshare driver, co-author of the recent report, Death and Corporate Irresponsibility in the Gig Economy and Urgent Safety Crisis. We'll have a link to that report as well. Minister Murphy, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I understand you may stick around for a little bit. We may come back to you. Coming up next, talking about unions. Stay tuned. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. It was nearly a year ago to this day. Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh said in an interview with Reuters, I'm going to quote him here, we're looking at it, but in a lot of cases, gig workers should be classified as employees. In some cases, they are treated respectively, and in some cases, they are not. And I think it has to be consistent across the board, close quote. Well, Secretary Walsh is not alone when it comes to calls for gig workers to be classified as employees and even have certain legal protections in place, as well as unionizing. As we continue with today's special program around the plight of gig workers, let's welcome in Rafael Espinal, Executive Director of Freelancers Union based in New York City. Jason McCullough, founder of Oak Radius Consulting and leader of Spark Atlanta. That's the Freelancers Union locally, local monthly meeting meetup group since 2014. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, you're excited heard. to be here. All right. Well, excited to talk about unions. <laughs> Let's get to it, because you heard what Secretary Walsh said. This is almost a year ago to this date in that interview he had with Reuters. He said, look, let's let's understand this. Gig workers should be treated as employees. I probably shouldn't have to ask this. But, Jason, how much truth is in that? Uh, I think it's 100 percent true. Uh, uh, We, you know, as gig workers or independent professionals, we do need protection, Um, especially when it comes, you know, the pandemic taught us that Uh, we uh, the pandemic came on and we didn't have uh, protection for income. Um, we got the Paycheck Protection Program, but that only took us so far. Raphael, what about you? Well, yeah, I think I think that there is definitely a need for expanded benefits and protections uh, for all workers. Uh, we know, uh, as Jason mentioned, during the pandemic, you know, the biggest concern was how are gig workers, freelancers, independent workers going to be able to bring an income home to deal with the cost of living at the time because they don't qualify for programs like unemployment insurance, uh, paid sick leave, and mm-hmm. other benefits that the traditional employee, employee receives. So uh, there has to be a really, really broader and, more, and an important discussion on a federal level about how can we update our worker laws to ensure that all workers have access to a broader social safety net. Now, Raphael, we had a sort of a, a mild debate here. It was sort of a mild it was among our producers in terms of when we talk about gig workers and freelancers. And one of our producers said, well, you know what? All freelancers, all gig workers aren't freelancers, but all freelancers are gig workers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to put that, that out that there. Is, <laughs> I mean, that, that, is the to- that is the topic of our time. And I think that that term continues to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gig worker is a freelancer. A freelancer is independent worker. An independent worker is an independent contractor. I mean, you can use any term, right? But I think that what we're seeing now in the media play out is that gig worker is being specifically used uh, for folks who are, are relying on apps mm-hmm. to be able to perform their work. Um, so that's that's really where where all of this confusion is coming from. I don't have to tell uh, any one of you, and that includes Minister Murphy, we know about the history of unions in this nation. We know the importance that they serve. And when it comes to talking about gig workers and freelancers, there are some complexities in it because they're they're not paying into, so to speak, like with with their paycheck, like if it's a transit or, you know, sanitation workers, what have you, or, you know, road workers. So there's some optics around that. How difficult is it when we talk about, okay, a freelancers and a, and a gig workers union. What are the differences here that maybe people don't quite understand? Well, why you need a union? Because you all aren't technically under the same umbrella. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and I'll let Jason mm-hmm. add. Um, um, you know, freelancers union, we, we were created about 25 years ago 
with the idea of bringing, of bringing independent workers together to create a unified voice so that way we can better advocate for the needs of freelancers, right? Independent workers, freelancers, gig workers, they all work independently and it's a very fragmented workforce. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, there's a lot of exploitation that happens uh, in, in the workplace and in, in the process of doing business, which is why we believe it's important to create organizations like ours to do that. You know, but, but independent workers, because of the uh, National Labor Relations Act that passed many years ago that allowed workers to organize within the workplace, independent workers are left out of that. Mm -hmm. uh, because independent workers are independent, they're able to charge what they need to charge, create a certain job uh, they, they, for the work they produce. Uh, but what we're seeing with the gig workers and the app-based workers is that there are algorithms deciding uh, for that worker how much they're getting paid. So mm -hmm. gig workers don't have the, the power to, to decide, hey, I want to charge $20 for this ride because there was traffic today. You know, uh, the algorithm decides that for you. So that really creates a lot of this discussion of uh, who deserves to be a, a, a considered a full-time employee of a company mm -hmm. um, and who truly is an independent contractor. Um and Jason has been doing a lot of great work uh, in Atlanta uh, for, for the union and making sure that he's bringing those freelancers together to be able to advocate for themselves and get the education they need. Jason, let me ask you this. What's some of those typical questions that you get from freelancers about, hey, how can you all really be helpful for someone like me? Well, uh, it comes down to education. Uh, so the Spark community, which is part of the freelancers union, uh, we uh, cater to people who are zero to five years of, ex of business experience uh, because that's your most vulnerable time, especially, you know, the zero to one to two years of experience because you, one, uh, you don't have the tax filing experience as an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. You don't have um, the pricing experience and the contract writing uh, experience. So you can be taken advantage of early on. Um, uh, you know, as, and that's what, that's what Spark is here for, to help you price properly, to help you create better contracts that help you protect yourself and your client uh, and, uh, you know, help take you further in, uh, in freelancing. Do you all also assess from a state by state, I guess, standpoint in terms of which states may have some protections in place for freelancers or gig workers? Have you all looked at that? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we the, the organization Freelancers Union has been successful in passing a law in New York City called the Freelancers and Free Act. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the first it's the first law of its kind in which the city now has to get involved in making sure that a freelancer gets paid from a client within 30 days and they have a contract that protects them from non-payment. Uh, we're now hope it, it passed in Seattle as well. We're hoping to uh, get it done in L.A. and and bring it to Atlanta of course, it's because it is a huge help for independent workers. But the idea is there is a protection that exists. How can we get this done across the board to ensure that all independent workers are, are protected from non-payment? Well, and you heard in my conversation earlier with Minister Sherry Murphy, who talked about particularly, especially the, the plight of those gig workers and those who are working under, you know, these gig corporations. But it does appear that there's a certain set of challenges for those gig workers as opposed to freelancers, because freelancers usually consider it's contractual. But when you are a driver or whatever, or you're in task rabbit, it's still a contract, correct? So why could not it work together? Why can there be the same protections for these gig workers? What, what's the what's the hold up here? Or does it go back to the power and influence of the gig corporations? I mean, I think, yeah, it's, it's that. I mean, the reality is that you have a lot of workers uh, who are working for these app-based companies putting in over 10 hours a day, um, making uh, below the minimum wage. Um, and in their minds, they're doing this work as a full-time job. Uh, and they should have, and, and the app-based companies are, are benefiting from that fact. Uh, so we, you know, we truly stand, stand behind the workers and believe that there should be greater protections and ensure that they have the rights to the benefits and, and be classified of employees of those companies. Um, I, I think it's also important to note that, uh, that, you know, that is a clear distinction from an independent worker, right? Mm -hmm. Independent workers are doing this uh, uh, at, the, at their own accord, are being able to price what they want to, want, what they want to price, deciding to be their, their own standalone business uh, while these app-based workers are being sucked in into these algorithms and don't have control over their business. Well, both of you have said in terms of the Freelancers Association that the first step 
is bringing people together. Okay, connecting. We've, we've, we've talked about that. Connecting. I think it's even on your website. Connecting is part of the first step here in union organizing. Then after that, that path is not so easy, as you all know. And depending on what state you live in, you are up against some of the challenges. Raphael, what are you all doing? How Are you leaving it up to chapters like here in Atlanta to sort of create their own path? How are you all coming together to get something concrete on the books for your workers? Yeah, so these conversations are popping up and as you mentioned, in states all across the country. Um, you know, we're based in New York. We're, we're following what's happening here. There's a coalition here called the Direct Coalition uh, that's looking to, to help uh, uh, app-based workers, gig workers, uh, not be misclassified any longer and become employees. So we're, we're closely having conversations with them to see how we can be supportive. But on a federal level, there, there is a, a, a move to pass a law called the PRO Act, right? And, and the PRO Act would allow for independent work or, or people who are classified as independent workers to be able to come together, organize, uh, and become part of a union so they can collectively bargain what their, their rates are. Well, well, hold your point there, because I want to go back to Minister Sherry Murphy, and I want to bring in for a moment, because we talked about this, the classification. It, so you're saying the classification is first. If you are classified as an independent worker, then that's, that's, a, that's a step forward, right? That's progress. Are gig workers classified as independent workers, or does that vary from state to state, state, to, to state here? I will, I want to, and thank you so much for, because I want to jump in about the misclassification. Even if uh, here in California, let me just start off by, by saying this, under the Dynamics decision in 2018, the California legislators adopted three factors in determining the status of a worker known as an ABC test, right? So prior to Proposition 22, uh, they had this uh, test that said, if you're under Lyft and Uber's control, you're an employee. The second one was that if you're providing services in the company's usual course of business, you're an employee. Mm -hmm. The third one was that if you are not regularly holding yourself as a small business, you're an employee. Okay. And so what this all that meant was that if we don't set our own rates, we don't make our own decisions, we are told where to go and when to go um, by algorithms, we are essentially not a independent worker. So the, the question that we need to, in the discussion we need to be having is how do corporations smoke, smoke screen this idea of flexibility and misclassification? Okay, let's, Jason and, and Raphael, y'all want to jump in on this and, and, and comment and respond? I'm going to let Raphael take that one. I mean, it's, it's definitely an important conversation. And, and again, as we mentioned, supportive of, of, what, of what, we're, what they're doing around or what's happening around making sure that gig workers are no longer misclassified. Uh, I think that the biggest issue that uh, freelancers, true independent workers saw uh, with, with the law was that the ABC test uh, captured uh, certain professions and really affected the way they were able to do work. But not to say uh, that we don't we don't not support the, the movement overall. Uh, we are working to figure out how do we ensure that true independent contractors are not caught up in this battle that these big app companies and this mess that they have created Mm -hmm. uh, for all workers uh, and, and ensure that the freelancers are protected and gig workers are protected as we move forward. I have a listener just just emailed me and said, Rose, you keep saying true independent worker. Define that. And I guess, Raphael, that's for you because you just said it. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it it's, uh, it's, uh, it's it's someone uh, it's someone who uh, is able to set their own rates, uh, write their own contracts, decide okay. who their client, decide who their clients are, uh, decide the type of work they'll be performing. Uh, not working under the clock of a of a of an algorithm or or a larger company. Uh, Jason can speak to what being a freelancer is. Jason, do you yeah, want to um, what today is like? Would, uh, whenever uh, you know, whenever we hold Spark meetings and someone's new, I uh, say if if you file a ten ninety nine, you're in the right place. <clears throat> That's uh, well, what do, I tell. So, but uh, Mr. Murphy. Uber and Lyft drivers and DoorDash, y'all don't find y'all don't file 1099s. We file we file 1099s, and we were still um, um, the and Lyft and Uber were still able to manipulate the law. And that's but what I want to go back to is that the Dynamics decision helped to address the independent cap contractor status, but it also addressed the minimum wage. Not only did we have the ABC test. 
But we also had an AB5 law that clarified the reach and the effect of the Dynamex decision. Um, And what's really important is that even with those two legislations, you had a corporation that spent $205 million that said, we are not following the rules. We're going to make rules of our own. And so as Raphael mentioned, then it's up to the federal level to say, this is how it's Mm -hmm. going to go. Raphael, go ahead. You want to add something? And, uh, and I was going to say, like, uh, I think we, we we just clearly heard the, the issue here, right? Mm-hmm. As Jason mentioned, you're if you're if you collect 1099, you file 1099 as you're an independent worker. But what's happening with these with the independent with these dri- with drivers, uh, they're being classified as independent drivers when their work that they're performing is not independent of what the algorithm what these companies are asking them to do. Uh, so you have all these drivers who are under the control. Uh, of 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 these large corporations, and then they're being told that they're independent workers and don't have the rights to benefits of a traditional employee, even though they're putting in all uh, ten hours a day working uh, under under the app, under an app. I must tell you, I have another listener email me says, "Rose, I'm confused. <laughs> so if it's confusing <laughs> for us, uh, I want to I want to make sure I, I have time because we're going to have some other uh, freelancers and gig workers join us in just a second. But uh, and I want you all to hang with me. But as we before we go to break, I want to ask uh, Raphael and Jason. So then, this is an election year, right? We all know that. So, or do you all have some support, whether it's Congress or locally or here in Georgia? Anybody got y'all back, basically, is what I'm saying. Jason. Um, well, what I would say to uh, everybody out there is just vote locally. The local the local elections are what matters. So make sure you vote locally uh, for someone that supports, one, your values uh, and, you know, the values of, uh, you know, independent workers and gig workers. Um, so, but as far as someone having our back here in Atlanta, um, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure of that. Yeah. Raphael, well, it's an election year. You all making any progress in trying to get this message and, and getting to, to lawmakers? I mean, I think what, what the pandemic has done is really, uh, shed a, shed a light on the need, uh, for this conversation to be front and center. You know, too many workers have fallen through the cracks, um, uh, when there, the government shutdowns were, were put in place. Um, so I think this is our moment. I like the leaders have woken up to the issue. Uh, and gig workers and, and, and independent and true independent contractors are now uh, uh, being focused on. This is we have to we have to take advantage of this situ- of this moment uh, and, and get our like leaders involved. Uh, you know I think um, you do have a lot of people in, in the Senate, uh, especially in the, who are Democrats that, that are listening. Um, so it's, it's our job to make sure that they're educated and understand how to best move forward. Rafael Espinal, Executive Director, Freelancers Union, based in New York City. Jason McCullough, founder of Oak Radius Consulting and leader of Spark Atlanta. That's the Freelancers Union's local monthly meetup group since 2014. Jason, I have some other emailers who want to know how to get in touch with you all. I guess we can just tell them to go to the website, right? freelancersunion.org all right look at you i'm getting you i'm getting you folks getting your members jason hang with us we're back (laughs) in a moment thank you both for taking the time from wabe in atlanta this is closer look i'm rose scott as we conclude today's special on the gig and freelance life let's get some insight from those who are Gigging and freelancing. I don't know if gigging's a word, but I'll go with it. Cheryl Heil, freelancer and gig worker who drives for a one Uber Eats and is the owner of Amplified Concept. I love that word, Amplified. A freelancer's collaborative business. Also, and I hope I say his name correctly, Ty St. Louis, freelance writer, content developer, consultant, and journalist. Richard Berry, freelance graphic designer and founder of Design Theory, a multidisciplinary design collective. And I think Jason's hanging out with us as well. Welcome to you all. Nice to be here. All right. Sherry, Thank I'm going to start with you. Absolutely. Sherry, I'm going to start with you. In one word, describe life as a freelancer and gig worker. Flexibility. All right. Ty. Um, that's a word. That's my word. That's my word. <laughs> Richard? Uh, creativity. How about that? Yeah. So I've heard creativity, flexibility, and uh, but this is the life that you all have chosen, right? Ty, let me come back to yes. you. Why'd you say, ah? 
Um, I think because I kind of fell into freelancing. It's not anything that I, you know, I think a lot of people's experience is that they worked for a long time and then eventually decided to strike out on their own. Uh, I started my career as a journalist, freelancing, not really knowing that that's what I was doing, but kind of fell into it. And so because of that, even 20 years into it, there's a lot of structure, processes, things like that I don't necessarily have in place. Mm -hmm. And I'm just now, you know, 19th, as of last year, really surprisingly during the pandemic, finally got to a place where it's not like a check to check thing. It's not a I don't know how long this contract is going to last thing. So it's it's stabilizing now, but there's been a lot of uncertainty and a lot of, you know, it's figuring it out as I go along. Figuring out as you go along. Uh, Sherry, let me come back to you. How long did it take you to figure out in terms of the finances, the structure and everything? Did it take you a while to get that, to get a grasp of that? Absolutely. That is, uh, was the hardest part is because I'm not an accountant. I didn't go to school for accounting. I, um, have been in management. Um, I have run sales floors. I, I know business. Um, but when, and I wanted to do the things that I was good at and accounting was not one of them. Um, I ultimately, I now have a bookkeeper and an accountant because it's just not what I'm going to do. I understand that. Richard, what has been the learning curve for you as a freelancer? Uh, really just, uh, learning as I go. Uh, I really love, um, uh, fresh books, um, or rather QuickBooks, self-employed. Uh, that has been a real lifesaver. Uh, back in the day, I would just collect mountains of receipts and I would spend like three days going through them and, you know, doing it all by hand. So I love, I love my QuickBooks and we have, we work with a really good uh, CPA who keeps us out of hot water. In other words, you're not one of the people that have the receipts in a shoebox and then come tax time. I used like. to be. I used to be, for sure. For I mean, sure. you. I think a lot of us have been there where we've had receipts. I mean, before all the apps, I've been down that. And it's like, oh, yeah, here's a receipt that was in this jacket I wore last spring. Let me put this together. Uh, earlier, we talked to Jason and Raphael, and they're talking about the importance of freelancers coming together collectively. That could possibly lead to you know more protections in place for you all. Um, Richard, is that something that you 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 absorb you you welcome uh certainly i mean i i very much uh support the freelancers um union and uh, I've, I've been to many of their events and it's a great organization all right sherry yes so i got involved met jason actually with the freelancers union when i started amplified concepts i was telling a friend that you know, freelancers need support. They, many of them go out in the world. They don't have that business background. They only know what they know, whether it's graphic design or content writing. They don't know all the foundational um, aspects that go into running a business. And the biggest thing, I was such an advocate. I believe everybody should be a freelancer because of the flexibility, mm. but there's the insurance side of it. So anytime I would try to talk somebody into freelancing, they're like, but I need benefits. Mm -hmm. And so with the freelancers union, not only giving people the education to build up that foundation, but they're also advocating and trying to find resources for people to have those benefits that they need. Um, and to, to have that, infrastructure that a, a corporate job provides for you. Um, so very much um, in favor of what they're trying to do. Ty, let me ask you this in terms of benefits and, and I don't want to get all up in y'all's business, but I'm going to ask all of you that. What is your health care insurance situation like? So I've been um, taking advantage of the, um, the health care marketplace since it, it came to place. Um, throughout my career, there's definitely been times where I've gone back to like a more traditional job and haven't had have had insurance that way. Um, I almost feel like this way it actually ends up being cheaper. Uh, at one point towards the end of the pandemic, I actually got a regular job just because, you know, 2020 was a really, really rough year, particularly for the music industry, mm -hmm. really particularly for the urban music industry that does not have the greatest um respect for freelancers, particularly not in Atlanta. I know it's different in New York and LA, but in Atlanta, it's a struggle. I've heard and that. And so, um, I'm sorry? Uh, no, I've heard that from different people. So that's- Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different beast in terms of what you're able to charge. It's a different beast in terms of the support that you have, uh, the clients that you're able to get and so on and so forth. 
And so, you know, I went to um, get a regular job and was working that. And when it came time to sign up for, for when I qualified for benefits, what they were offering was really not great. And I spoke with uh, my insurance broker and we had a conversation about how I wasn't broke anymore and I didn't qualify for poor people insurance. Um, wow. Yeah, it's, a, and, and it, you know, and then it becomes a different conversation because it's like, of course you want to do better, but then doing better means you're paying more taxes. Doing better means your insurance is more. Doing better means, you know, maybe having to hire people, um, you know, it, it not to, <laughs> I can't help it because I am a hip hop girl, but you know, to quote Jay Z, and it's a it's a drug reference. It's like you know, not have to buy bigger plates and and more baggies. Like it's yeah. you want to do better, but then of course, doing better comes with its its share of new problems. Sherry, your healthcare insurance, what's that look like? Can you share? I am incredibly blessed because I'm married to somebody who loves the corporate world and would never be a freelancer <laughs> and works for a company that has amazing benefits. So that has really given me um, a lot of freedom to do what I need to do. Richard? Yeah, this has been a struggle over the years. There was a time uh, when my wife was with a company where we recovered. Um, we're looking into different options right now. Um, mm -hmm. There are the health share plans. Uh, there, of course, there's the marketplace, which uh, we're probably going to get invested in here pretty soon. But uh, it's definitely, uh, I know it's its really a barrier for, for folks. Uh, like like Sherry was saying, it's like, how can I go out and freelance, you mm -hmm. know, I lose all, all the benefits. So it's, it's uh, it would certainly be nice if it was, if that could be taken off my list of things to worry about. I want to just bring in Jason real quickly, because I have a question for you, because what Ty mentioned was very interesting. And when it comes to contracts and for freelancers who may not be that knowledgeable of it, and then there's an issue and you're a freelancer, maybe you're going up against a, a, a bigger entity. Do you all help navigate them through that? And look, for many of y'all, can you even afford an attorney if you got to go if you go up against another a bigger organization just to get paid? What do you all offer in terms of resources? So uh, the Spark community, um, you know, I personally do, uh, you know, sit down and, and get on Zoom with, uh, you know, attendees and, you know, talk through, you know, their troubles and their contract problems. Uh, but you don't need a big attorney. You need, um, you know, some some nasty letters. You can get some uh, nasty letters written for you. Is there a nasty uh, by... letters template online? <laughs> <laughs> there get are your some. money, nasty letter <laughs> template <That's>... here. <laughs> Right. Uh, but uh, you can also use those, uh, uh, I hate to say it, gig type legal marketplaces like LegalZoom, uh, because you just need that lawyer or attorney on one particular engagement um, uh, to, you know, either uh, recover funds or uh, get funds back or, you know, uh, dispute uh, non-payment, et cetera, um, or to write one contract for you. You don't need an ongoing engagement with an attorney unless you're making over 150 grand a year. Um, you know, that's just my personal experience. <clears throat> let, let me ask you all this because, and I have a listener who, who actually just sent a question and says, okay, I'm thinking about going into freelance. What is the number one piece of advice you want to give me here? Learn with, business. Okay, learn but your business. You say learn your business. Well, take that a little bit if you can. I got about. Okay, and I don't have a lot of time. But what do you mean by that? Learn your business. Okay, we'll break that down. Learn how to file taxes. Learn how to price yourself accordingly, uh, and then I'll toss this over to Sherry. Yeah, your number one thing is you're a salesperson. Do not go into freelancing if you don't like to be a salesperson. Too many people who go into freelancing say, oh, I hate sales. If you hate sales, if you've never seen yourself as a salesperson, do not become a freelancer. Ty? I'll add one more thing to that, um, just because, you know, I know that I think particularly younger people, um, you know, millennials and younger, zennials and younger, there's this idea that freelancing is so fun. Working for yourself is so amazing. And it's a goal, right? Um I think it's really, really important to have a career plan. Uh, again, I've been in my business. I mean, I, clearly I started in kindergarten. I've been working for 20 years. 95% um, of it has been independent. And, you know, it's very, very recently that I sat down and I said, you know what, one day I woke up and I decided I wanted to work in the music industry. Mm -hmm. And I picked up a book about um, 
entertainment PR and I literally read the intro and I was like, yep, that's it. That's where we're going. Um, and kind of have gone back and forth between PR and journalism since then. And I've been very, very blessed to work with some really good people to have some amazing opportunities come my way, but I did not have a plan. And, you know, I'm just now getting to the point where I'm like, okay, at 40, 42, what does the next 10 years of my life, 15 years of my life, 20 years of my career look like? So that would be my number one thing is before you do that, before you strike out on your own, be really, really clear with yourself about where you're trying to go and what it's going to take for you to get All there. All right. Richard, I'll give you the last word. Sherry said, be a, your salesperson. Ty says, have a plan. What are you going to add? I would say be a learner. I would. Uh, I really agreed with what Ty was saying. Um, I'm reading all the time. Read about your industry. Read about trends. Uh, talk to people that are in the field. Uh, you know, set up a call with them. Get an interview. Take them to lunch. Just learn as much as you can about the business. All right, Richard, Ty, Sherry, thank you all so much for taking the time sharing your insight as freelancers and also as gig workers. And Jason McCullough, thank you for sticking around. Fascinating conversation. Thank you all. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. This edition was produced by Janine Etter. Our other producers are LaShawn Hudson and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Just send me an email, as you always do, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online. It really is, wabe.org slash closer look. And, of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.